0: Interestingly, events in the Muslim world seem to discreetly vanguard the world at large towards the singularity of a grand Tahrir Square. There seems to be in inter alia a Muslim awakening all around, although the counter-revolutionary forces in and out of the Middle East and Africa seem to have succeeded in derailing the Arab Spring, installing new military authoritarianism, an eclipsed military crescent would eventually face the materialization of the Arab Spring on a much bigger scale, giving in to the aspirations of the masses a huge bulge of tumultuous youngsters, in the end. The remarkably positive outcome of this Ratio Sinaitive L and Vital would be the elimination of the danger of clash of civilizations. Counter-revolutionary forces are, the United States, Europe in general, Bedouin Pentagon, lead by Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Israel, and India. Present West-centric world order is bound to collapse, for the people now can quickly discern the reality of the issues even when shrouded in the thick of disinformation the resourcefulness of dissemination, through mushrooming independent TV channels and social media avenues, of the genuine-slash-legitimate aspirations-slash-concerns of a segment of society, for the others, to support and make it a popular-slash-top trend, has become an unbridled anti-oppression, anti-tyranny tool. The reason for my optimism is the Pakistani army's decade-long, hands-off, behind the scene for the civilian apparatus approach, to the country's multitudinous affairs. Pakistani army, the strongest, after that of China and Russia, in the third world developing countries, has learned its lesson after several elongated stints with the governance, that it ought to stay away from its supra constitutional role to let Pakistan develop into a modern, viable, civilian-ruled state. Note, I have deliberately left the international, political-slash-military-slash-economic, polarization aside, for it is all too obvious. In Algeria, Egypt, Libya, Sudan and elsewhere the military establishments have the unique opportunity to learn from the Pakistani military's experience, making the right choices, handing over the power to the civilian representatives and prevent another Iraq, Syria or Yemen from happening. The resurgence, contagion effects, of awakened Muslim youth, Amy, would engulf, sooner than later, the Bedouin Pentagon, other oppressive and corrupt Muslim-dominated countries, non-Muslim youth in Europe, Africa and America's, steering the world towards the singularity of a grand Tahrir Square. U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, gave a speech in Cairo, in June 2005, in which she said, for 60 years, my country, the United States, pursued stability at the expense of democracy in this region here in the Middle East, and we achieved neither. West, in my opinion, has been wrong on both the accounts, military rule authoritarianism and democracy. I will agree with Samuel Huntington, in an even broader context, that democracy is not only an alien concept, to Middle Eastern culture, but an anathema to the overall Muslim psychological constitution and dispensation. Consensually nominated caliphate, in my opinion, would, therefore, be the best model for Muslim-dominated countries, synchronizing caliphal slash sharia rules, as far as permissible, with the demands and compulsions of modern times. I envision a looming caliphate as a result of this Muslim youth awakening. Note, for the sake of brevity I will discuss, but a few, hot spots around the world to build my premise. Algerian President Abdelaziz Bouteflika has been forced, by the Algerians, out of the electoral race seeking the fifth term after being 20 years in power. What is striking in the Algerian uprising is that the protesters are a mix of all walks of life and determinedly peaceful. They do not want to be associated with the hijacked and derailed Arab Spring. They call out each other to go to Selmia, peaceful rally, rather than to protest to avoid any semblance with failed Arab Spring. Abdelkader Ben Salah, the interim president, was supposed to hold fresh elections and step down on July 4, but postponed the elections and suggested the dialogues to pave the way for elections without involving the military. Instead, Algerians, sensing the delaying maneuvers, have repeatedly referred to Article 7 of the constitution, which stipulates that ultimately sovereignty belongs to the people and their will is represented by civilian institutions. Algerians are demanding a genuine change in the system, offering openness, transparency, and opportunity https colon slash slash shakir2.wordpress.com slash 2011 slash 03 slash 05 slash hawks are getting itchy to commandeer the mid east Revolution slash. Algeria is Africa's largest country, ninth biggest OPEC producer of crude oil and liquefied gas, having a population of around 41 million, 70% of which is below the age of 30 years, beset with huge unemployment and a stagnant economy. Yet not afraid of le pouvoir the powerful ruling elites. It is producing over a million barrels per day. Its 85% export consists of liquefied gas and crude oil. Protesters in the Middle East have learned crucial lessons since the Arab Spring, peaceful protest. The success of popular action and civil disobedience in Sudan and Algeria have been treated skeptically by commentators. The pessimists might just be getting it wrong this time around, just as the optimists did eight years ago. Two very different political waves are sweeping through the Middle East and North Africa. Popular protests are overthrowing the leaders of military regimes for the first time since the failure of the Arab Spring. At the same time, dictators are seeking to further monopolize power by killing, jailing or intimidating opponents who want personal and national freedom. In Egypt, West-supported, ex-military general Fatah el-Sisi is trying to maneuver a referendum for his lifelong presidency. I believe that his days are numbered. On June 14, Egypt's president, Abdel Fatah al sisi appointed a new Minister of Defense without seeking the approval of the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces, SCAF, the institution that brought him to power. At the same time, he appointed a Prime Minister without the necessary parliamentary approval. These might seem like minor political maneuvers, but they are highly revealing about the direction of Egypt's politics. Since taking power in 2013 in a military coup against President Mohamed El Morsi, Sisi is busy systematically removing obstacles to his power, as dictators do. Supreme Council of the Armed Forces, SCAF, created in 1954 by Jamal Abdel Nasser, provided the armed forces with an intermittent mechanism to influence the government. SCAF reappeared during the demonstrations against Hosni Mubarak in early 2011 and took control of the government until Morsi's election in 2012. The law implemented Article 234 of the 2014 Constitution that, until 2020, appointing the Minister of Defense requires SCAF's approval. SCAF had insisted on this provision even though it caused divisive political conflicts and sometimes street battles between 2011 and 2014. Article 146 of the Constitution gives the President the right to appoint a Prime Minister, but Parliament must give the new government a vote of confidence. Prime Minister Mustafa Madboli replaced Sobi as Minister of Defense with Ahmed Zaki. SCAF has not approved Zaki's appointment, while Parliament has yet to accept Madboli's government. These two presumably pro-Sisi institutions have not rubber-stamped his appointments because of Sisi's 2016 decision to transfer the sovereignty of two small islands, in the Red Sea Tehran and Sanifier, to Saudi Arabia. Article 151 of the Constitution forbids the cession of state territory. The arrests of two former generals, the summary ouster of the defense minister without staff approval and the installation of a new ministry without parliamentary approval conclude the consolidation of Sisi's control. In return, Sisi has insured all kinds of benefits and complete immunity to scaf officials from any future prosecution as a bribe. Sisi is a favorite of the USA, Europe, Bedouin Pentagon and Israel. Sinai, Bedouin lead, insurgency is another tetra-pronged flashpoint, involving Egypt, Israel, Libya and Gaza-Palestine. In this insurgency, Salafi jihadist and Islamic State, ISIS, are also involved. A sequel of Tahrir squares on the eventual horizon. Jordan. The public unrest in Jordan is not dying down, and the frequent protests are threatening to destabilize the country. Not only are the kingdom's dire economic straits, one of the factors driving the protests, not improving despite harsh austerity measures, but the situation is even worsening. Alongside the calls to address the economic problems, various political forces, including not only the traditional opposition but also tribal leaders, former regime officials and retired military officers, Have been demanding political reforms and even calling to limit the powers of the king on the pattern of the UK. Tribal forces demand regime change, ouster of the king. The climate of unrest has affected even the Jordanian tribes, which constitute the backbone of the regime. On March 1, a protest movement identified with Jordan's large Bani Hassan tribe issued an unusually harsh statement against the king, accusing King Abdullah II and Queen Rania al Abdullah of behaving like demigods and demanding a change of regime. May Allah have mercy on the king, a pauper would be more respectable than a western stooge Hashemite king. West-installed sheiks in general are terrified of the contagion effects of Iran's revolution as well as that of the Arab Spring. Libya. According to international officials and Libya experts, the UAE, an ally of the UK, US, and France, shipped weapons to Libyan warlord Khalifa Haftar, a, US-slash-Libyan, dual national, even after the ex-field marshal, turned warlord, declared the head of the UN-backed head of state in Tripoli, Fayez al-Siraj, a terrorist and issued for his and other officials' arrest warrants. The vast oil-rich North African nation has been crippled by violent civil strife since Gaddafi's downfall in 2011. Two loose alliances dominate the country, a collection of eastern militias led by Khalifa Haftar under the umbrella of the Libyan National Army, and a UN-backed government of national accord, anchored in Tripoli. The UN panel last year cited evidence, suggesting, both the UAE and Turkey, were providing weapons and military equipment to rival sides in Libya. Both Egypt, a security partner of the West despite human rights abuses, and the USA, have been aggressively supporting Khalifa Haftar because they perceive the rival government in Tripoli as a front for the Muslim Brotherhood Organization, which they have vowed to crush. Elected President, late Morsi, was removed by the counter-revolutionary forces for the same reason. Warlord Khalifa Haftar has been backed for years by President Trump, USA, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and France, which see in him a potential strongman to bring order to the country even after they have also publicly backed the UN peace process and other international initiatives to stitch the country back together. ISIS fighters, a Western proxy militia, kill LNA troops outside the Libyan oil field. Unfortunately, if the situation continues like this, 95% of oil production will be lost. Mustafa Sanala told reporters in Jeddah ahead of a ministerial panel of top OPEC and non-OPEC producers recently gathered. The raid on Zilla is the third ISIS attack targeting Haftar's forces in the recent past. According to the latest reports, the LNA Haftar forces seem to have bogged down in the capital's outskirts. An old hand, Saif al assam Gaddafi, the eldest son of late Muammar Gaddafi, who is aspiring to become president and lead the country, may prove to be a viable consensus candidate to unite the country. Nigeria. A 50-50 Muslim-slash-Christian country, incumbent President Mohamedou Buhari won his re-election bid, defeating his closest rival Atiku Abubakar by over 3 million votes. He took an oath of office on May 29, 2019. Mohamedou Buhari, 76, former military strongman, and Yemi Osinbaho, who will serve as vice-president. Africa's largest economy, OPEC's sixth-biggest oil producer, is mired in its first recession for 25 years as low oil prices have hammered public finances and foreign reserves while driving up annual inflation to almost 20%. Africa's most populous nation has traditionally been marred by violence and rigging. Presidential and parliamentary elections taking place under the shadow of a devastating war against Islamist militants, Boko Haram, in the Northeast, clashes between farmers and herders that have claimed thousands of lives, and a moribund economy. Boko Haram, Founded by Muhammad Yusuf in 2002, the group has been led by Abubakar Shekau since 2009. When first formed, its actions were non-violent. Its main goal was to purify Islam in northern Nigeria. From March 2015 to August 2016, the group was aligned with the ISIS Boko Haram promotes a version of Islam which makes it haram, or forbidden, for Muslims to take part in any political or social activity associated with Western society. This includes voting in elections, wearing shirts and trousers or receiving a secular education. Boko Haram regards the Nigerian state as being run by non-believers, regardless of whether the president is Muslim or not, and it has extended its military campaign by targeting neighboring states. A simmering potential flashpoint. The Zumrachal Jamiu-Maminu Society of Nigeria has asked the federal government to look for a new location for the proposed interchange at the Pakoro-slash-Lado area of the legasi ibadan Expressway in the obafemi local government area of Ogun State. It has been reported that over 300 buildings are marked for demolition to pave the way for the interchange. The Islamic organization said its schools and members' buildings were among the structures marked for demolition, alleging that neighboring religious premises, including those of the Deeper Life Bible Church and the Redeemed Christian Church of God, were excluded from the planned demolition. Christian missionaries proselytizing slash exploiting destitute Muslims under the auspices of the USA and UN should be expelled from the entire African continent, for the sake of peace and religious harmony. Pakistan. Pakistan, the only Muslim nuclear state, at the moment is trekking on a rocky path. Its corrupt leaders are on the leash. Some are behind bars while others are waiting in the queue. Its iconoclast leader, a cricket-famed celebrity, a playboy turned philanthropist and savior politician, is struggling against his inexperience and entrenched tentacles of the old guards. Pakistan's transformation into an emerging economy and developing country is dubious, but most Pakistani slash Muslims around the world are harboring high hopes. Its economic vehicle, however, is being driven by two U.S. slash IMF-appointed drivers at an undeclared price ticket. Read https colon slash slash shakir 2.wordpress.com slash 2018 slash 05 slash 10 slash Pakistan's exceptionalism slash Somalia. Somaliland, Puntland, Jubaland. Al-Shabaab, a splinter group of Islamic Courts Union, ICU, is fighting against the transitional federal government, TFG, U.S. sponsored Ethiopian forces and all other foreign forces, including African Union peacekeeping forces, considering them as occupying foreign forces. Al-Shabaab considers TFG as a secular government. Al-Shabaab is labeled as a radical Islamism group for they want to implement Islamic Sharia. Somaliland declared its independence from the failed state of Somalia in 1991, but the world, for the most part, has ignored the declaration. Similar names are rooted in colonial history. Somaliland became known as British Somaliland in the 19th century, while the southern region was Italian Somaliland. We have a functioning democracy. We have our own army. We have our own police. We have our own coast guard. You know, we have our own border police. We have fulfilled all the conditions of a sovereign state, Shire says as he ticks through why Somaliland is its own nation. And there's more. Somaliland has its own currency. It regularly holds elections. The current president of Somaliland is Musa Bihi Abdi. Lawmakers in Somalia's semi autonomous Puntland region have elected former Somalia planning minister Sayed Abdullah as president. The new president, 52, is widely known for his role in education in Puntland where he helped establish schools and universities. In 2017 he mounted an unsuccessful run for president of Somalia. Denny campaigned on promoting economic growth and fighting corruption in the relatively peaceful Somali region. A new chapter has opened for this region, a chapter of unity and brotherly relations among Somalis, the new president said. Puntland has largely escaped the worst of the country's decades of lawlessness, but there are pockets where Al-Shabaab and Islamic State militants are present and periodically attack security forces. The Revival of the Jubaland Administration On April 3, 2011, it was announced that the new autonomous Jubaland Administration would be referred to as Azania, and would be led by Mohammed Abdi Mohammed, Gandhi, the former National Minister of Defense, as President. According to President Gandhi, a trained anthropologist and historian, Azania was selected as the name for the new administration because of its historical importance, as Azania was a name given to Somalia more than 2,500 years ago and it was given by Egyptian sailors who used to get a lot of food reserves from the Somali coast, its origin is, an Arabic word meaning the land of plenty. Somalia has become shorthand for how the lack of a strong central government makes states collapse into unlivable chaos. In part, that idea rests on popular conceptions of Somalia as the world's most persistent failed state, a nation without basic security where the population struggles to get an education, food, and security. The idea that Somalia is completely lacking in central government is false, but the federal government's reach is indeed inconsistent. The central government is strongest around the capital, Mogadishu, but declines quickly outside of the immediate area. But that is not to say that no governing structures exist, even if they are not central. The regional government in Somalia operates with varying degrees of independence and effectiveness, ranging from the almost fully autonomous Somaliland region, which has sought recognition as an independent state, areas dominated by the militant organization Al-Shabaab, and other states and regions that still struggle to establish political control. Somali lawmakers elected a new president Wednesday, choosing a former prime minister who is a dual U.S.-Somali citizen. Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, better known as Farmaho, was declared the winner after two rounds of voting by the Somali parliament in Mogadishu. Farmaho won the largest share of votes in the second round, far out-distancing incumbent leader Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud and former President Sheikh Sharif Sheikh Ahmed. Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed Farmaho, 54, who, has been living in Grand Island, New York, and holds degrees from the State University of New York, Buffalo. He worked as the Commissioner for Equal Employment at the New York State Department of Transportation in Buffalo. Farmaho had lived in the United States since 1985 when he was sent there with Somalia's Foreign Affairs Ministry. He was Somalia's Prime Minister for eight months until leaving the post in 2011. Same is the case with Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, who holds three nationalities, Afghani, Lebanese and American. The security situation in Somalia remains volatile, and al-Shabaab remains the main threat to the country's security. al-Shabaab continues to maintain its operational strength and capability, despite ongoing and intensified ground and strikes across the country. Pro-ISIS elements have increased their activities in and around Mogadishu, although their operations remain limited to targeted killings. In Puntland, al-Shabaab and pro-ISIS elements remain active. In Sudan, Hassan al-Bashir, who came to power in 1989 in an Islamist spat coup, has been forced out and now the caretaker military is also being compelled to hand over the power to the civilians. The ruling Transitional Military Council, TMC, Says Islamic laws should remain the guiding principle of Sudan's new laws. The council and protest leaders had reached an agreement on the other main aspects of the transition, including a three year transition period and the creation of a 300 member parliament, with two thirds of legislators coming from the protesters' umbrella group. The two sides launched what had been billed as a final round of talks on the transition late on Sunday, May 19, 2019. The TMC has faced pressure from Western governments and the African Union to agree to a civilian led transition. Western government's pressure would always be a tricky quid pro quo. The military junta is resisting the transition to the civilian rule by killing protesters, who have launched peaceful civil disobedience. Ethiopian Premier, Abiy Ahmed's mediation has also failed. Finally, a Western-educated economist and UN policy expert in Africa, a British national, now surrendered, has been appointed as Sudan's head of state. Christian South Sudan, Having sub-Saharan Africa's third biggest oil reserves forced created out of Muslim Sudan, is an example of West's colossal failure. Its scission has cost more than 400k lives and is still in tatters. South Sudan's war has brought underlying regional tensions to the fore. It is part of yet another chapter of the historic enmity between Uganda and Sudan, while the rivalry between Uganda and Ethiopia over their respective influences on regional security has colored the mediation process. Ethiopia, Kenya and Sudan have dedicated envoys mediating the process while Uganda is only involved at the Yigid heads of state, Haas, level. Now, Ethiopian Abiy Ahmed, also US-educated, Sudanese Hamdouk, US-slash-UN planted, and Egyptian, US-trained soldier, Fatah el-Sisi are western hand-picked heads of state while Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Algeria and Tunis are in the process of being cultivated. France. Massive protests are happening in France, where people wearing yellow jackets demanding the resignation of Emmanuel Macron, seeking multifaceted reforms as in Muslim-dominated countries. Germany. Thousands of people joined climate change protests near one of Germany's biggest lignite coal mines on Saturday, two days after European Union leaders failed to agree on a plan to make the bloc's economy carbon-neutral by 2050. Protests are also being held against Article 13, Internet freedom of expression, Islamization of Europe, hate speech, and the immigration policies of Angela Merkel, accepting refugees. Serbia, Montenegro, and Albania. Anti-government protests in Serbia that have brought tens of thousands of people into the streets, decrying what they see as increasingly authoritarian rule, are entering their third month. But there seems to be little sign that the demonstrators' demands will be fruitful. On February 25, a European Union spokeswoman, Majika Sjancic, told protesters that there would be no Balkan Spring, Referring to widening protests in Serbia, Montenegro and Albania, all countries that are hoping to join the EU. The statement, which riled protesters in all three countries, seemed to confirm for them what has been increasingly evident in recent years, the EU prefers to stick with the devil it knows in the Balkans, backing autocratically minded governments, similarly as they do in the Middle East and Africa, that have failed to root out corruption and crime, the very benchmarks to join the EU to preserve what it considers regional stability in the face of geopolitical rivalry. The protests snowballed and have brought together an unlikely range of groups, including several parties from Serbia's hugely fragmented opposition, trade unions and professional associations that might not normally be associated with rocking the boat. The protesters claim that Aleksandr Vucic, Serbian politician, has overseen an unprecedented erosion of democracy, media freedoms and institutional independence. These things were never let taken roots by design in the Middle East and Africa. Democracy in Western Balkans is backsliding civil society, international organizations and independent experts have been reporting on unfair election practices, rising corruption, lack of accountability and lack of media freedoms for some time now. In its 2019 report, Freedom House ranked all six countries of the region as partially free, with Serbia's status being downgraded for the first time after the fall of Milosevic. Paradigm shift, towards equilibrium with the Middle East and Africa. Nevertheless, the European Union has not signaled any significant change in its policy towards the region, which has been criticized by many as support of stabilocracy, mild treatment of the strongman in the Western Balkans in exchange for political stability. It would be safe to say that, in general, EU and the USA have, hand in glove, for the rest of the world. Given that the huge protest waves of 1968, the early 1980s and 1989-1990 to 1990 can now be regarded as history in European democracy, the question now is whether a new protest culture is emerging in Western Europe. New protest lists, some evidence of citizens enrage. Like that in the Muslim world. The new face of protest today is influenced by political agendas in reaction to recent parliamentary and governmental actions. The confidence in legislatures and governments is decreasing as there is also growing general distrust of coherent polities within European national systems. European representative democracies may come under huge civic pressure in the future. In Europe, people most often take to the streets to protest against austerity measures and controversial projects. This trend implies that dissent arises after decisions have been made by governments on different levels and through democratic bodies such as parliaments. It may, nevertheless, be safely asserted, that the discontentment and distrust with the ruling elites is a common denominator, albeit with some differences in their intensity and expression, given the level of development and education in various regions and countries. People tend to be more skeptical than in earlier times about democratic decision making processes. Indeed, being skeptical could be regarded as better than being apathetic, which unfortunately is a persistent theme in European politics, as evidenced by low voter participation. But protests today are influenced by political agendas reacting to recent parliamentary and governmental actions. After the Bologna process, students began striking in France, the United Kingdom, and Germany. In December 2010, Italian and English students smashed windows and clashed with police. Can anyone deny that it is not the ballooning of the contagion effect of the failed Arab Spring? After strict but necessary austerity decisions were made in Greece in order to avoid a severe crisis, violent demonstrations broke out. On September 29, 2010, the so-called European Day of Action, thousands of people across Europe rushed onto the streets to protest similar austerity measures in their countries, blocking European capitals with swarms of demonstrators. The scenes were similar to those of Arab Spring, from Madrid to Brussels to Athens. In France, citizens demonstrated against plans to revise the deficit-plagued pension scheme by increasing the retirement age. United States, though final count is still being tabulated, researchers Erica Chenoweth and Jeremy Pressman of the Crowd Counting Consortium estimate that over 1.25 million people across the United States participated in Saturday's March for Our Lives protest, making it one of the largest youth-led protests in American history at least since the Vietnam War. These numbers aren't an accident. A combustible array of variables, including the rise in authoritarianism and anti-authoritarianism worldwide and technology that makes it easier to organize sibling marches, have contributed to historic turnouts. Overall, it is estimated that between 5.9 million and 9 million people protested in the U.S. in 2017 alone. The counts are already huge. Now get ready for them to explode. Social media contributed to the exponential growth in protest size, including an increasing reliance on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media tools that make mass organizing both desirable and easily replicable. Worldwide trend, a convergence on a grand Tahrir square. The feeling isn't just mutual. It's global. As Chenoweth notes, both authoritarianism and anti-authoritarian protests have been on the rise in recent years. Researchers have noted a substantive global increase in authoritarian populist candidates in the West in the past two decades. Citizens in 94 countries now live in non-democratic regimes, including 53% of the world's people, according to the Human Rights Foundation. Authoritarianism has arrived in Turkey as well as Venezuela, Egypt, Israel, and it continued its slow, not-quite-unprecedented crawl in the states. By Heather Doc 27, 2018. Mashable. Conclusion. So far, protest mobilizations have played only a marginal role in the master narrative of Europe. In Western Europe, countries such as France and Germany still have their own protest culture despite common projects such as the counter-globalization movement attack. A new protest culture has emerged on the pattern of protests in the Muslim world, which appeals to citizens' resentment towards government elites and decision-makers at all levels. Transnational movements, Especially the contagion effects of Arab Spring have played an important role in shaping student and austerity related protests and the anti-globalization movement that has targeted g eight summits Dieter Rucht self-deceptively concludes the Europeanization of protest is still a myth because only a small number of protests of this type have taken place. The existing anti elitist aspect, however, does have a direct connection to the European Union and the Muslim world's oppressive governments where decisions are used to gain ex post facto legitimization-slash-acceptance. Future politics in all spheres at all levels should take this protestation shift into account, otherwise, a new, fully-fledged protest culture, as a consequence of equilibrium deterioration setting in the world at large, is bound to converge on the singularity of a Grand Tahrir Square on the eventual horizon. Other potential hotspots, are. Afghanistan, Argentina, Albania, Bahrain, Bangladesh, Bissau, Bolivia, Brazil, Baltic states, several, Cameroon, Chad, Chile, Colombia, Croatia, DRC, Congo, Ecuador, Guinea, Diana, Hungary, India, Jordan, Kashmir, Kosovo, Latvia, Liberia, Macedonia, Mali, Moldova, Montenegro, Myanmar, Paraguay, Panama, Palestine, Peru, Philippine, Poland, Romania, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Slovenia, South Africa, Sri Lanka, Suriname, Trinidad and Tobago, Ukraine, Togo, Uruguay, Venezuela, Yemen, and Zimbabwe. For further discussion on international affairs slash relations, read https hakir 2wordpresscom 2018 6 19 realignments in the middle east in the wake of receding west slash. Greater than should Kenya and Ethiopia be wary of sectarian slash tribal wars? Save, Rohingya, Fir, Palestinian and Kashmiri Muslim from state sponsored genocide. Reclaim Africa, a Muslim continent. Shakir2.wordpress.com